Thanks so much for listening in to today's episode. Today I'll be speaking with Reese Ferner. From selling pizzas on the street at the Bathurst 1000 at the age of 15 to now being the head of partnerships and sales development with Shopify. Shopify currently, as of May this year, has a net worth of $87.02 billion. From his earlier years living in New South Wales in Bathurst and Dubbo, he faced challenges growing up with a single mum, a sister, and not having much money. From watching his mum run a dance studio every day after school till late at night, Reese learnt some of his entrepreneurial skills watching his mum run a business. We talk about why chasing money in business just isn't enough, how selling just isn't about being charismatic, the difference between a boss and a leader, and what you can do to work on yourself and your new business venture ahead. We also touch on how Shopify is the future for small business and how it's closing the gap of having to pay thousands of dollars to build a website that isn't that great or doesn't do the job or just isn't worth it. Thanks so much for listening in, guys, and enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for joining in today, Reese. Before we dive in, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, so I'm Reese, uh, based on the Sunshine Coast, not far from you. Um, and uh, yeah, I lead uh, a sales team and a partnerships team at a company called Shopify. And for those that have no idea who we are, we're not Spotify, so we don't do music. We're Shopify um, and we're an e-commerce platform. So uh, we power over a million merchants through our platform. Um, and essentially we allow uh, brands out there like Culture Kings or JB Hi-Fi or U Foods, as well as a whole bunch of of other businesses to process payments online, uh, manage their customers, manage orders, manage their inventory, all of these type of things. Um, so we're kind of the brand behind the brands, I suppose. So some people probably haven't heard of us, where some probably have. But one thing's for sure, if you've ever bought something online, you would have bought through a store that's powered by our technology. So yeah, I lead our sales and partnerships teams across all of the APAC region. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun. Cool, man. It's kind of like being a director behind a movie. Yes, kind of. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way of summing it up, I suppose. Yeah. So before we dive into anything more Shopify and what where it touches and where it goes and how big it's going to get, let's dive into a little bit of more of your own story and talk about like you know your own upbringing and what obstacles you had to overcome when you were younger to get where you are today. Yeah, cool. So I grew up uh, Central West, Bathurst, not far from, from your hometown of Orange. So I reckon the, uh, yes. the South Wales boys today. Uh, so I was born in Bathurst. Um, I did live in Dubbo for nine years as well uh, and then moved back to Bathurst um, and eventually moved up here to the Sunshine Coast when I was 16. So I spent the first 16 years of my life in that kind of regional Central West of, of New South Wales. So growing, growing up in the country, um, was great in a lot of ways you know I grew up playing heaps of sport because there wasn't much else to do <laughs> let's let's be honest so lots of sport but uh yeah I suppose firstly kind of some challenges like moving around is always hard um so moving from Bathurst to Dubbo and then Dubbo back to Bathurst and always having to reset you know your friend groups and, and things like that it was really hard at the time but I know now some of the skills that I've learned from from doing that, I think, um, have certainly made me better at what I do and just how I communicate with others and try to be a good, friendly person, you know, that's willing to talk to, to anyone. And, uh, and yeah, I grew up with a single mum, uh, my younger sister. We had a catalogue called Pepsi. 
Um, so it was kind of us and uh, where I probably got a bit of the entrepreneurial spirit from was from my mum. So my mum's a, a dance teacher and she's always had her own dance studio. So pretty much my day would consist of going to school and then going back to the dance studio, you know, after school and I'd be there until nine or 10 at night and then go home and kind of repeat. So very much grew up in my mum's business, I suppose. So that's where I, I learned some of the entrepreneurial skills. But certainly we didn't have a lot of money, you know, so it was pretty pretty tough growing up. And my release, I suppose, was definitely sport. So played a lot of soccer, a lot of cricket, a lot of tennis, a lot of basketball. Um, still follow those sports a fair bit today, particularly cricket, still love my cricket. But uh, yeah, uh, so that's and moved up here when I was 16. And uh, yeah, probably I've started working really early. So when I was 15, you know, the moment I could get a job, I, I got a job. Um, my first job was at Eagle Boys in Bathurst and had to wear the Eagle suit on Mount Panorama weekend. Um, so that was interesting uh, with a bunch of bogans driving up and down the main street and yelling obscenities at you and whatnot. Um, so that was a bit of an initiation of fire, I suppose, into the working world. But sold a bunch of pizzas to cars going past just, just in cash and walked back into the, the shop and with a lot of cash and, and the boss kind of looked at me and went, wow, okay, this guy's all right. And, and uh, yeah, started working there more, um, more frequently and then moved up to the sunny coast, worked at a sports store uh, and yeah, kind of using my love of sport and talking to people, I suppose, and went from there to uni at QUT in Brizzy, uh, did a business degree and then, yeah, kind of entered the professional work space, I suppose, where um, I've worked in the digital agency space, which is pretty a pretty big grind, to be honest. Anyone that's worked in, you know, the service space, um, particularly the, the digital agency space, it's pretty pretty tough, really long hours, and it's a grind. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I've made my way to Shopify from there and been at Shopify for the last three and a half years, which has been a, a great, great journey. So, yeah, I think probably just going through you know, having a single mum and, and, you know, not being overly wealthy, but growing up in my mum's business was, um, was pretty cool. And that's kind of made me who I am, I suppose, in many ways. Well, it's kind of like you've always been in sales too, which is really cool. And what do you think it is that, you know, differentiates you from another salesperson? Do you think people in sales who just get into sales just get that rejection too much that it throws them aside? Is there a way that you overcame that where you just had a goal in mind that constantly got you through each time or? Sales is something that does come pretty natural to some. You know, some people just can't sell and never will and that's totally fine. Where I think for a lot of really good salespeople, it is generally something that comes pretty, pretty naturally to them. But it just starts by being able to have communication you know good good strong communication with others it's it's pretty simple and i think the other thing is good what probably sets a good salesperson apart from a bad salesperson is generally a good salesperson always plays the long game and that's something i'm very big on is that don't cut corners you know there's always pressure with sales am i going to hit my monthly target my quarterly target my annual target you know and it's pretty easy to cut corners and get there sometimes but those that cut corners are the ones that end up burning bridges through it. So I think uh, play the long game. And, and whenever I'm in a, in a team and looking at a sales org, I'm not overly interested in who's the top performer. You know, I'm generally interested in who's kind of second, third, fourth, like who's consistent, who's doing things in the right way, who's going that extra mile. So I think the difference between a good salesperson and a bad salesperson is just literally that, who's willing to do it in the right way 
play the long-term game, not burn bridges just to hit a target. I guess that's the biggest thing too. Like, I don't know, you guess you kind of see those people who can communicate and who can't communicate. Who can you sit at a, like, if you go to a bus stop and then you start talking to a random person, you'll know straight away if they can, you know, if they're going to be able to sell you something or not. And do you think it's something that people can work on if they can't communicate at all or if they struggle to communicate? Or do you think it is just something you're born with? Uh, no, look, there's definitely skills that you can build over time. So if you upskill yourself by obviously reading, um, by listening to podcasts, by, you know, essentially um, being surrounded by people that are good at it, you'll naturally get better and better at it for sure. So it is a skill that you can learn, but you'll obviously have to put a lot more time and energy into kind of getting there than what someone that is a little bit more natural with it is. But, but also the, the art of selling isn't just being charismatic and communicating. The art of selling is very much centered around your, your, your actual knowledge of what you're selling to. Um, so you can't just, just jump into something and be this charismatic person that's got a, a nice smile and can chew the fat with someone. You've actually got to know what you're talking about as well. And I think that, that actual knowledge base is really critical. And it, across, sales is a very broad industry, right? Um, and it does depend on what you're selling. You know, so selling a pair of shoes at a uh, sports store is substantially easier than selling a half a million dollar digital implementation of something, right? Like there's very different scales of, of, um, of sales, right? So, so I think being a, a real expert in your field, regardless of whether you're in sales or not, is, is always going to be critical to how you succeed in, in any role but particularly sales as well, if you want to be exceptional at it, you know, you've got to know what you're selling and you've got to know that buyer inside and out and what makes them tick, what motivates them, who are the key stakeholders, how do you engage the stakeholders differently? Um, you know, if you're selling a big digital implementation, the CEO cares about something very different to what the CFO cares about versus what the digital marketing manager cares about, right? So understanding the chain of command and how you communicate to those different stakeholders and how you showcase your product knowledge that's very specific to those stakeholders is very important as well. Uh, definitely. And do you think it comes down to like, you know, identifying like how people, you know, what they like, how they absorb information. There's all these little things that you can kind of have in your mind that can help you identify how to connect with someone and build a better relationship. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, some important sales skills are, are like matching and mirroring, right? So, how you pick up the person that you're speaking to uh, and, and a lot of, or, or how you pick up the signs from that person that you're speaking to from across the boardroom table or, or whatever environment you're in. So a lot of that is, it comes down to someone's situational awareness and emotional intelligence to a degree. Um, so how you read others is definitely a, a trait of good salespeople. So as an example, you know, if you, if it was a, a man selling to a woman, uh, like one interesting thing that studies show is that you shouldn't sit directly opposite them on the table. You would sit more at an angle where it was another man, you would sit more directly in front of each other. Um, how you use tonality. Uh, we, all of these other things are funny and weird, right? Like you don't think about this, you know, when you're necessarily doing it, but it's interesting what some of these studies show. But how you use tonality, so how you raise your um, the level of decibels, I suppose, up and down in your voice hugely influences how people perceive what you're saying. So, yeah, and matching and mirroring is picking up little things like, is that person across from me from the table? Do they have their arms, you know, crossed and sitting back and not really engaging? Are they on their phone? You know, 
how do you um, match a mirror and try to open someone uh, up to be open and warm to the conversation that you try and have with them? How do you appeal to that, that particular person? So having, I suppose, that situational awareness is important, but a lot of that comes with time and experience as well. So, you know, if you are someone that wants to get into sales or is pretty early in your career, you know, certain things you just have to learn by doing and just getting into a bunch of these situations and then experimenting with what you do to try to see if you can change the perception or the behavior from that person that's across the room from you. So yes, it's definitely a skill to be able to pick up certain signs that I suppose the person across the room from you is showing. Now with Shopify, some people probably haven't heard of Shopify. Some people have. How big is it now and how big do you think it's going to get in the future? Do you think this is just like, it's just, just starting now, especially with coronavirus around there would have been like a bit of growth, do you think, at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So Shopify was started in 2004 um, by a gentleman called Toby. So Toby's a, a German guy, moved to Canada. Um, so Shopify is very, very proud Canadian business. I think it's the biggest or second biggest company in all of Canada. So uh, yeah, look, it was started in 2004 and it was really started on the back of Toby himself starting an e-commerce uh, business. He wanted to sell snowboards and he was a developer himself, software developer, and he tried a bunch of the uh, existing uh, e-commerce platforms out there at the time and he just didn't like any of them. Um, so he built his own and uh, he started selling snowballs through his own platform and very quickly he started getting more and more interest from people interested in the, the e-commerce software that they had built opposed to the snowboards. So he pivoted into just building the software. So pretty cool story about how it started and, and I suppose those, those roots that come from entrepreneurship and small business are still today extremely centric to what Shopify is and, and what we try to do. But yeah, it's grown a lot. So uh, like I was saying before, we, we now have over a million merchants who use the platform. Um, so it's the, the biggest e-commerce platform in the world. And uh, we process some pretty crazy numbers through the platform in terms of revenue every single day, which is, is good. Um, and yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of growth um, of merchants joining the platform and uh, you know growing into these big businesses that um, just didn't exist five years ago. So that's pretty cool. So in terms of like where we're going and future growth, like, I mean, there's a lot of runway. There's still a lot of innovation that needs to happen from an e-commerce perspective. Uh, there's still a lot of particularly legacy brands. You know, when you think of walking through a shopping center and you see a lot of these retail brands and they've got such crappy online experiences and the technology that they're using behind the scenes is often very enterprise and extremely expensive and hard to work with hard to uh, adjust and uh, and innovate over time right because the customers customers today are innovating like crazy you know we've got mobile phones you know we've got these things at the our fingertips every single day you look at the rise of social and instagram shopping and influencer marketing and these type of things so the consumers are now very much in control uh, when you think 10 years ago, the retailers were in control because you had to walk into their physical store to get what you wanted. Uh, where now the consumer's in control and they can get what they want very, very quickly and easily with their fingertips. Um, so the power has really shifted from the retailer to the consumer. So uh, where I think a lot of runway is for us as a business is whilst we'll always be very entrepreneur-centric and we've got a really good product for anyone who wants to start a business, um, and that's where we see the majority of our growth. 
we're also starting to see these more traditional legacy brands that are going, I'm seeing all those brands on Shopify growing like crazy. Maybe we need to start innovating a little bit more. And the more external pressure uh, that we see around these type of brands. So when you think of Amazon uh, entering Australia a couple of years ago, you know, they're starting to eat up more and more market share and they've got very deep pockets to, to essentially go after that market share, particularly when it comes to non-branded, you know, commodity type of products. So you've got pressure from Amazon. You've got pressure from consumers who are now shopping through different brands, different experiences, digital first experiences. And there's these up and coming brands that are taking market share from these legacy retailers as well. And then you throw in something like COVID as crazy as, as it is, you know, that does add a, a whole nother layer of pressure. So what we're really seeing in the market is that what we thought, where we thought we'd be from a, a digital perspective in 2030 is all of a sudden being accelerated to now. So you're seeing restaurants, um, you know, scramble to figure out, hey, how can we get this delivery thing sorted? You know, and the whole ghost kitchen thing for Uber Eats and, and whatnot, which is just fascinating. Not really our area of expertise, the restaurant side, but certainly when we look at these traditional brands, they're all of a sudden going, hmm, yeah, we need to look at how we, we beef up our digital technology and, and infrastructure. So that's opening up a lot of really interesting conversations for us. And specifically, when we think of, of COVID, like obviously certain verticals that are traditionally done online have really taken a bit of a hit but we've seen other verticals really rise. Uh, so if you think of fashion uh, as an example, which is a huge industry on, on Shopify, uh, fashion is now all of a sudden a luxury purchase because if you're not going out for dinner on Friday night, you're not going to go and buy a new dress or a new pair of shoes or whatever it is. So fashion has certainly seen, you know, some, some challenging times, is seen some challenging times now. Well, when you think of, uh, let's say, uh, fitness, you know, your, your area of expertise, fitness sales are going nuts because people can't go to gyms anymore. So they're buying uh, fitness equipment for home. Uh, consumer electronics, you know, we saw the Nintendo Switch kind of thing go off where everyone's buying Nintendo Switches and they're sold out. And so a lot of consumer electronics. Beauty going really well as well. And obviously that food and bev kind of segment. So a lot of grocery retailers really scrambling to beef up their digital infrastructure to sell more things online. So kind of just seeing this switch in verticals if that makes sense. So yeah, the whole whole COVID thing, you know, is definitely bringing the future forward in a lot of ways. It's also, a, it's a forcing function for older generations to start adopting technologies a little bit more. So I think there's a lot of positive that will come out of what is a really shitty, <laughs> shitty situation for a lot of people, but hopefully we'll see digital usage and digital infrastructure beef up so that the experiences that we have as consumers uh, in the digital world becomes better uh, on the back of it. It's really cool. eh? like, I, I think it's really amazing, like how well of a job a lot of businesses have done, like in such a short period of time, you know, not even like big companies, but you know, you've got these little businesses online, like say a florist. Now they're taking photos and they're uploading all this stuff and they're organizing delivery. And it's, it's just cool to see like, yeah, there's like, there are a lot of bad things happening in the world, but there's also a lot of positives that bring us to this point that we were going to eventually get to. Like, it was just a matter of time until we got here, but at least it's happening now. And who knows that just leaves more room to advance even more in the future for business too. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, and the, the technology, like technologies like Shopify are really cheap. They're extremely cost-effective for these smaller businesses. You know, Shopify starts at 29 US a month. And it's been really cool because we've been able to launch 
what we call BOPUS or buy online, pick up in store, um, or you can do like curbside pickup and things. So for these small businesses, if you're a florist, not only can you sell them online and, and ship them as per the normal type of e-commerce offering, but it's really bringing that click and collect style of functionality to these smaller businesses where you can actually do the, the curbside pickup. So if you're a florist and you want to keep everything contactless and abide by the social distancing regulations and everything, uh, a customer can opt to pick up in store. You can set your time frame for that pickup. Uh, you can request that they have their driver's license on the dash of the car and they can swing by out the front of your shop. You check out their license in, in the passenger seat or the boot or whatever. You drop the, the flower bouquet and away you go. So there's these really cool kind of new ways that of doing business that technology is um, allowing, you know, really cost effectively for, for these smaller businesses, which is great because they, they need to, you know, generate revenue, right? They've still got a whole bunch of overheads. So, and we want to try to keep the economy going as much as we can. So I think, yeah, cool little features like that are, you know, just things that spring to mind around what we're trying to do to just make it easy for, for some of these smaller businesses. Yeah, it's super refreshing to see. I love it. I think it's super cool, eh? Like to, that, that ad, Shopify offers something like that because, you know, if I was to hear the word Shopify and I had no idea what it was, I instantly think like a big brand, like a big company for sure, but I, don't, I wouldn't think that it would cater to such a small business. So it's really cool to see that it's actually making such a, you know, a huge impact and offering services that, you know, other, other places aren't. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, the overwhelming majority of those million... Uh, merchants on our platform or small business. Uh, yeah, I think we, we saw a huge spike in merchants uh, joining our platform in the 2008 global financial crisis. And, um, you know, this situation is similar in some ways where when, when times get tough, like they are right now for a lot of people, uh, people look for ways to accelerate their side hustle or ways that they can be entrepreneurial and start their own own business on the side. So it's great. Like that's personally one of the things that I really love about what we do. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I get to work for a very mission oriented business where it is all about making commerce better for everyone and trying to really help out the entrepreneur and remove the barriers so that anyone gets started. So now really, when you think of starting a business, particularly an e-commerce business, the easy part's getting the site set up, capturing payment, fulfilling orders. Like that's the easy part. It didn't used to be, but it is now. And that's what Shopify has done is it's really lowered the barrier and flattened the curve, you know, the learning curve for someone to get online and start selling. The hardest parts now are really like brand, you know, really carving out what is your brand, what's it stand for, how do you bring that brand to life? And secondly, product. Like, how do you make sure that you're getting the right product that's unique, um, that aligns with your brand, uh, aligns with the story that you're trying to, trying to tell and brings genuine value to people? So that's really the harder part where I think most, um, most people, um, you know, should be allocating their time is really around brand and, and you know, how's that aligned with solving a particular customer problem? And then secondly, how do you get really unique and a cool product? You know, so it's, it's less about just bringing something in from China that's the same as everything else, you know, that doesn't have, have good brand value. So how you actually solve a customer's needs um, through something that's a really cool, unique product is, is the way to go. That's the best thing about it. I think like, you know, with brands, at least you're building a relationship and you're building an experience that people are getting something out of versus, I guess, 
yes, there's drop shipping brands out there and it's a hot word that I see all over my YouTube every day. <laughs> um, but, you know, do you really build a relationship with someone through, through that, you know, that product that you import from, you know, China or overseas? Yeah. That's the biggest thing that I, I'm always curious to see, like how much customer satisfaction do you actually get from a drop shipping uh, business versus a branded business with, you know, same kind of product, but you've just personalized it in your own way. You've maybe altered it a bit and, you know, you've made it more valuable. Yeah, exactly. The, the acquisition costs today for merchants are so expensive, right? With so much, um, with, with such a big rise in digital and people buying things online, uh, it has really like taken up a lot of the inventory available on digital channels. So when you think about how you advertise digitally, you've got Facebook, Google, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, uh, et cetera. Like there's only a handful of channels really, right? So, you know, the more brands that, that go online creates the higher bidding laws for the eyeballs on those channels that you acquire customers. So that drives the price up. So when you think of, of drop shipping is that that's a really heavily dependent like that model's heavily dependent on you constantly acquiring new customers. So you've got to be really, really good at that acquisition game. Well, when you think of building your brand, yes, you still have to acquire customers for sure, but you all of a sudden increase your lifetime value because customers are coming back and purchasing off you more frequently. And that's where you focus on channels like email marketing a lot more and retargeting to bring people back and, um, and those type of things. So like one of my favorite brands that, um, that are on Shopify is Patagonia, which you know, nearly everyone will know, but Patagonia's just got an awesome story, stands for great things. And um, I think that's probably a perfect example of what we we're talking about before about building a brand that's, that kind of creates this followership um, of people that, that share similar values to the brand. Um, and that's how, how you can really storytell and keep people coming back. So I think um, that's a prime example of that in action. Yeah, definitely. What do you think it is that people struggle with when they're trying to create their own story or create their own mission? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's a couple of things there. Like I see a lot of people start businesses to try to make money and a hundred percent, like that's the reason why you start a business for sure. But where most people generally get undone with that is that you run out of steam. Like, so you start trying to find a particular product or a particular uh, operational model or margin or something to facilitate that goal of making money. It's a little short term. I think at the end of the day, you've got to do something that you're passionate about, something where you, you have some sort of interest or experience or you, you're almost the end user of that product yourself. That's really what I think is important because to, to run an e-commerce business, it's not easy. It's hard if you're not doing something that you're passionate about or where you're genuinely actually solving a customer's need, your ability to make a successful business out of that is going to be substantially lower. So I think doing something that you're passionate about is really important, but you've got to overlap that with a little bit of business now as well, because some things that some people are passionate about often have no business legs whatsoever. Um, so you've got to be able to get that blend right, I suppose. So don't go all out chasing it because it's a good business opportunity. Don't go all out chasing it because it's a good product in your head. It's got to be somewhere in the middle. You know, you've got to be able to apply the business now to something that genuinely solves a, a customer's need. And most successful e-commerce businesses that I run into and talk to, you know, I'm pretty lucky I get to talk to a lot of these entrepreneurs every single day. 
they're smart people, right? Like they've invested a lot in themselves, their knowledge, done a lot of reading, they're educated in some way, they know their area, like they know that area of expertise, you know, inside and out. Deep, deep expertise in the particular area that they're in is, is pretty important. Touching on business more so, so you, I wanted to really talk about you as a leader as well, because I look at you as like, you're a good leader. And I said it to you before this as well. I just think you're a really good leader. You're a good human. Um, you're really passionate about what you do. So people in business or even people who don't want to run their own business and they may be transitioning to a leader position, what is it that makes someone a leader versus a boss? Thank you for the kind words. Look, um, you know, leadership is something that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a craft in itself. I think people often get promoted into leadership roles because they're good as an individual contributor. And unfortunately, if you're good as an individual contributor, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good as a leader. You know, it's like... Um, you know, I think of Andrew Johns, you know, the greatest halfback of all time if you're from New South Wales. But if, if you think of Andrew Johns, like so much of his, his ability is so natural. It comes natural for him. So he's not necessarily going to be a fantastic coach, you know, because he sees the game in a certain way that an up-and-coming halfback mightn't see it. Right? So I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is that often people that are really good at their job as an individual contributor or uh, the natural next step is to push in the leadership. And they often get pushed into leadership and they're very unprepared for that. You know, most businesses don't train people on how to be leads. They train people on how to be good at, you know, as an individual contributor, but not necessarily as a lead. So that's the first thing that I, um, we spend a lot of time on at Shopify is talking about how leadership itself is a craft. So you have to invest a lot of time in yourself to be a good, a good leader. But I, I think uh, what makes a good leader um, is first and foremost, you have to hire the best people you're responsible for hiring people. You have to hire people that are um, aligned to the business's values. Um, you have to hire people that have great attitudes over skill set. Skills you can train, you can't train attitude, um, or it's certainly a lot harder to train. And you and you have to hire people that are better than you. You know, that's one area where I see people that maybe aren't so good at leads is that they're threatened by people that are better than them. Where for me as a lead, I want people that are better than me. They make me look good, <laughs> you know? So I think um, hiring the best people is really important and you do have to be a really good storyteller. So kind of coming back to sales and I didn't, I didn't actually touch on this earlier, but I think being good at any role, but particularly sales is that you have to be good at telling stories. You know, how do you tell stories that, that the person you're um, selling to will resonate with, you know? So is that a, if you're selling to a, a client, you know, how do you tell the story of a similar client and how they were feeling and what they were going through and how they went about making the decision, you know, that, that builds a lot of trust. So being a good storyteller is, is also an important thing because as a lead, you've got to be able to develop the vision and the strategy and, and like the why, right? And uh, you've then got to be able to empower your team on for them to come up with the how, you know, um, so I think that's important in, in leadership is that you've got to uh, create the conditions for success by helping people understand the why, why your team exists, what's important, where are you going, like, and how does that have a greater impact beyond us as a team on our fellow colleagues, on our merchants, on the economy, on all of these type of things. So storytelling around the why is really important. And then because you've hired good people, you get out of their way. So you say, hey, how, how, do you, how do we want to go and achieve this? And I kind of look at it as being 
a lead is not giving your team the answers. It's being the bumper bars. You know, if you think of 10-pin bowling, you tap them back towards the right way, but you don't bowl the strike for them. Over time, you know, that creates a really empowered team that feel ownership. They feel connection to the why, but they feel ownership over their role and uh, autonomy in how they can go about doing it. Um, it creates a trusting environment where they can come up with the answers and they're not going to be shot down if they're wrong. You know, they're going to be encouraged to fail. It's okay to fail. You know, that's part of learning. You know, every failure is uh, the successful identification of something that didn't work. Uh, and if you don't create a, that culture where it's okay to fail, you create a culture where no one wants to take risks and you lose that innovation. So thinking uh, the type of company that we are being, you know, one of the most innovative companies in the world, really, we have to be encouraging people to think outside of the square. And that means that if, if I'm the only one, like uh, what I see uh, bad leads do, is if I'm the only one because I'm the most important person in the business being the lead, um, if I'm the only one that can come up with the ideas, then you're just not empowering the rest of your workforce and getting the, the most out of them and making them enjoy what they do and feel ownership over it. And then you get people leaving. You know, I think um, most people leave a role because they leave the boss, the lead, not the company, <laughs> you know. Uh, so good leadership is really important and it's a craft and you've got to work on it and upskill yourself on it over time. And, yeah, hopefully, you know, people that go into leadership positions have good people around them to be able to coach them on this. Uh, if you don't, you're going to need to take it upon yourself to really um, get out there and upskill yourself and read some good books and listen to podcasts and things like that. Really good advice too. Do you think in that position too, because you've already become a leader, you already understand that, you know, you're going to like support other people around you as well. Do you think that makes it a lot easier for you to build better relationships with people that you help lead? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, it's, it's, all about humans you know it's we're all human so understanding what motivates people and makes them tick and understanding how unique every single individual is is really important uh, I do take a lot of pride in, in myself and how I go about uh, leading my teams and that it is a very human way of doing it you know we spend a lot of time you know putting together career development plans we spend a lot of time doing 360 degree feedback from peers and, and colleagues we spend a lot of time doing personality test stuff like Enneagrams and Myers-Briggs. Um, so we spend a lot of team, a lot of time together, you know, really understanding ourselves as people and then how that, uh, how we fit in with the rest of the team. And uh, that's important for me because I want diversity within my team. I don't want a bunch of white males with grey hair. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the worst thing that you can have. No offence to white males with grey hair. But you, you really want to have diversity of not just uh, gender, but also, you know, sexual orientation, race, um, personality types. Like the more diversity that you can bring into your team, the better. And that, that is a good thing and uh, allows you to have a more diverse viewpoint on the things that you're trying to solve. Um, so I think that's, um, that's really important as well. No, definitely. Absolutely. Now, well, you're not traveling much at the moment, but you usually travel quite a bit for, for Shopify and going to different meetups and different events. On an unrelated note, how do you feel that travel has, even before you started traveling with Shopify so much, how do you feel that tra uh, traveling has, you know, really altered your own perspective and what do you feel the benefits are for travel and how it may help other people? 
Yeah, look, I mean, travel's, travel's huge. I, I um, Unfortunately for me, I didn't actually go overseas until I was 25, believe it or not. So didn't get any, any overseas trips as a kid. And I went and my first trip when I was 25 was to New Zealand. So I was, you know, as close to home as you could really get. But um, I have been really fortunate over the last, you know, uh, five, six years to have done quite a lot of travel. So particularly in, in this role, um, you know, I spent a lot of time time in, in Asia, in Singapore and Hong Kong and Japan. Um, and then I also spent quite a lot of time in North America. So uh, largely Canada, but a bit of the US as well um, for work. And I travel all around Australia very frequently. So I'm generally in Sydney or Melbourne, you know, once every couple of weeks or so. Um, so yeah, look, I think travel is uh, a huge part of, of opening your eyes and helping, helping you see the world in a different way, making you more tolerant as a person. And I think on, a, on the business side, it helps you see how the work, how businesses run in different areas as well and you can spot opportunities that might be working in the US that aren't here or, or vice versa so yeah I think travel's a critical part to everything you know so I'd, I'd highly encourage those that aren't traveling I mean Australians are pretty good travelers let's be honest we um live on an island in the middle of nowhere so we'd all go stir crazy if we didn't travel and uh everywhere I go there's always Aussies everywhere so um, so we are pretty good travellers and we should definitely keep that up. And I think probably the best thing, though, is it does make, it certainly makes me realise how lucky we are here in Australia. I'm a pretty half-glass-full person. You know, I'm pretty optimistic as it is. Uh, and But, yeah, when I come home, home to Australia, when I've been overseas, it's just like, uh, you know, that you just suck in the air and you realise how lucky we have it uh, here in comparison to a lot of a lot of other countries. So even if you just get that appreciation for Australia and how lucky you are uh, to be living in Australia, I think uh, that makes travel worth it. Yeah, definitely. I guess it'd, it'd be, I don't know, for me personally, like I realised how lucky we were here, you know, when I lived overseas for a bit, um, you know, just the fact of how easy it is to, you know, build a business here or go see friends or five, four jobs, whatever you want to do in different places, you might struggle to get one job or you might not be able to see friends or you might not be able to start a business or learning opportunities might be cut off. So that's why I think I, I love it. I think it's so interesting to see like how many more opportunities there are, you know, in Australia and it doesn't have to be Australia, it could be America or it could be the UK or whatever it may be, but just comparing the differences so that you can have that optimistic um, outlook on life too. Now, for people listening in, what advice would you have for them to take if they wanted to start their own business or they just wanted to work on their professional or personal development? Starting your own business. So, uh, yeah, well, I suppose the first time is there's, uh, there's never a good time. I see a lot of perfectionists procrastinate over it. Just start it. <laughs> you know, like I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, the school system has failed us in some ways and this is a whole other uh, podcast episode at some point but you know throughout school we're encouraged to get a plus right um but what an a plus or what the mark doesn't show is how much time that person put into it you know so if uh if uh, the school ducks put three months into an assignment to get an a plus and if uh the average joe below put two days to get an a minus what's the better mark you know the school system tells us that the a plus is the better mark but the reality is in the real world the A minus is the better mark. So I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about that and, and don't procrastinate and don't be a perfectionist. I think, what do they say? Perfect is the enemy of the great. That sounds familiar. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I might've got that wrong, but, um, but yeah. So I think, uh, 
just jump in, have a crack. You'll learn a heap of things along the way. Again, take that um, mantra of it's okay to fail. Like what's the worst that could happen? You know, you're going to learn a bunch of things. And uh, most of the time I see successful entrepreneurs successful on their third, fourth or fifth attempt. You know, it's often not their first or second. So the main thing is getting started. Hopefully you have success on the first, that'd be great. But sometimes you don't. And, and that's totally okay as long as you learn that. I personally know myself in starting my first business, which was an e-commerce business. I wouldn't say it was a failure. I'd say it probably came out in the middle between it being a win and a, and a loss. Probably a, it was a draw. Um, and draws are never really very fun. But, um, but I learn a heap of stuff out of it. And that's what's really enabled me to to build my career external to that, but also build a skill set that I can now bring to a lot of other businesses um, and, uh, and certainly take into future things that I do. So I think, um, uh, yeah, just start is the first thing. Try not to be a perfectionist. Try to get that blend between uh, the business now. You know, you've got to be a good business thinker, but you've also got to be obsessed with your customer and truly solving something that's worth solving. Um, so don't go out and and do something that's not truly good. You know, it's got to be good. Uh, if it's amazing, awesome, you'll do really well. You can do well, you can do pretty well if it's still good, uh, but you won't do well if it's a shit product, right? Um, like you can't chuck lipstick on a pig. You know? You've got to actually have something that solves a problem of some sort. So, yeah, so, so do your research around the product, create something that's unique, be good at storytelling. You know, that's the hard part, the storytelling, the brand stuff. Getting up and running with the technology that exists today, like Shopify and a range of other technologies that bolts into Shopify to run an e-commerce business. It's, that's the straightforward part now. And what if people just wanted to work on themselves, just to take some steps to maybe just better themselves, change their perspective, who may feel that it's too late for them or they just, they're just lost? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I'll be able to answer that one super well, but what I can probably answer around is what I found that's worked well for me. Uh, so I'll caveat this with everyone's different and obviously has different motivations and different things that they want to accomplish and also different learning styles and backgrounds and knowledge and things. But certainly for me, the way that I've found that my brain works is that in order to predict the future, you know, I've really got to think about uh, the past. Uh, so I, I do really like looking at history and studying history and us as humans and like what our behaviours are and where we've come from to where we are now. Um, and that gives me a better understanding as to just who we are as a species and how we kind of tick and work. And that then allows me to really think about where we're going. Uh, so I think um, that's just something that, that I quite like. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of a book called Sapiens, uh, which is all about us as, as humans and kind of where we've come from. And uh, I just find that fascinating. So, you know, that's a really interesting uh, read, I think, for anyone just looking to get a better understanding of history and how we work and what, what's kind of made us who we are. So I find that fascinating, but there's a bunch of people listening that will go, oh, that sounds boring. So and that's totally fine as well. It just depends on... on uh, that book sold a lot of copies though. Yeah, it's, it's a hugely selling book. So yeah, I really highly recommend that one. It's great. And he has written, um, his second one is called Homer Deus, I believe, which is a little bit more about the future. And then he's got one that he released just last year, I think, which is 21 Questions for the 21st. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Cool. I haven't read that one yet, um, 
yeah, really big fan of Yuval Noah Harari. Love to tell you, I'm, I'm not too sure, but I've seen his books everywhere. So that, that's a really good book. You know, outside of that, I love uh, high output management. So, uh, you know, boring leadership book. It's not, it's not so boring to me though, but anyone that's in leadership or wants to get into leadership, I highly recommend that book. And then, uh, yeah, Grits, Originals, uh, what else? Range is a really interesting read. Uh, came out last year actually. Um, and that, that's all about how we build a range of skills and, you know, like myself being a dad, I've got two little boys. So um, really interesting how you really want to give your kids a chance to play lots of different sports. And that range allows them to be better later on in life at um, whatever they end up choosing to focus on. Uh, so I think that's an interesting uh, read for people in business or thinking of getting into business. And, and it kind of, again, echoes that try lots of different things. You know, if starting a business is something that you want to try, that's great. Like you're building that range of skills. And then eventually wherever you end up in life, that platform of all of that, those, um, like that range of skills that you've built will really help you accelerate into something that you land in later on. Um, so that's a good read. And outside of that, in terms of keeping well, like, you know, mindfulness, I try to be more mindful and do that more often. But to be honest, I don't do it as often as what I should. But I certainly know that when I do practice that, um, I feel a lot better. Being active, I should be more active. I do a lot of walking one-on-ones with my team now, particularly with us all in isolation and, and working from home. It's, um, it's a good way for me and also for my team to, to get outside and get a bit of exercise in whilst also being productive. So there are a few little things that I try to do. Oh, perfect. And even like just walking while you're on a call, or I've heard a few people call it like active mindfulness. I'm a fan of, you know, like I try and same thing, try and like I'll, fairly good like i'll usually do it at least once a day just like a little bit of mindfulness but if i don't if i'm not feeling like i want to do that i'll just go for a walk and then i'll just you know observe observe like my environment and just kind of walk and just chill out a bit and i've found that's actually helped with me become a little bit more like productive and creative if i'm feeling like i've got a blank slate in my head so if anyone's listening to that jump on that give that a go Uh, But yeah, super really helpful tips, lots of golden nuggets uh, in today's talk. Loved it. It was really like such a pleasure to have you on today and um, no doubt you'll be crushing more goals, achieving more things and making a huge impact through Shopify and, you know, creating future leaders as well. Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Chris. And if any of your listeners, you know, have any questions or something, you know, I'm sure that, um, you know, try to find me on Twitter or on LinkedIn. I'm happy to answer any questions or be of help where I can. And what would be, if someone wanted to ask you a question, what would be a main platform that they might be able to reach you on? Uh, yeah, probably do Twitter, uh, at Fernbags. I'm sure you'll put it in, in somewhere for them to find. But yeah, uh, find me on Twitter uh, or LinkedIn, really whatever you prefer. Uh, I don't really use Facebook or Instagram too much. So Twitter or LinkedIn probably the, uh, the best places to find me. Perfect. Once again, thanks so much for your time, Reese. No worries. My pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much for listening into that episode. I hope you really enjoyed that and got some value out of it. Again, if you did enjoy this episode and you do love this podcast, leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, subscribe, show your support because the impact that we can make together is the impact that's going to help change someone's life, change their perspective or help them overcome an obstacle they may be facing right now. Thanks so much for listening in, guys, and until next time.